Welcome. Glad you've joined us today. We are going down the path of creativity and specifically creativity as a way to problem solve at a time where the problems are more complex, the choices are more uh, connected. The number of choices we have is pretty unprecedented. The complexity of the teams we have to work with and specifically the teams rotating and moving depending on what the particular challenge is. And of course the consumers getting smarter and smarter all the time. We really felt we're sitting at the center, the intersection of all of this complexity and wanted to go down this path and explore creativity as a solution, as a technique for digging inside of a problem and finding the way out, the solution to solve the particular challenge we're all faced with. And by taking the creative path through the journey of different personalities that we're going to be interviewing over the course of the series, we're going to get different perspectives and learn and get insights that we probably couldn't get on our own in another capacity. So these will be regular and very focused, intimate conversations with people that range from different industries, different job functions, from CMOs to presidents to VP marketing to people who run businesses to artists, musicians, those that are really sitting in that intersection all the time and struggling through solutions and challenges and trying to find their way out of the other side. So we're excited about it. Check us out, check in often. These will be ongoing. Our first in the series is an interview with two artists, two musicians, Mike Viseglia, who's a longtime bass player, very hot uh, bass player in New York City for many, many years. He was the bass player for Suzanne Vega for 27 years and spent those 27 years on the road, but also recorded with a number of the top artists from Bruce Springsteen to Christopher Cross and a number of other popular names that you would all know. We're also bringing in Rebecca Haviland. She has her own band called Whiskey Heart and they travel uh, frequently and they can be seen around the country, most specifically in New York. Uh, and she and Mike have worked together on a number of occasions and have just a great relationship and have a way of talking about and getting inside this creativity question um, that I, I feel would be uh, really interesting and somewhat inspiring. So please join us. So favorite music. Let's get started with favorite music. You probably music. have lots. You, you play many. You, <laughs> yeah. you, you, Enjoy many as an audience member, but you got to have something in you, given yes. your background. That's that piece that just kind of lights you up. Um, well, so for me, the song that I picked uh, to, to talk about and demonstrate uh, my favorite piece of music would be uh, Howlin' Wolf's Built for Comfort. And which version? Um, well, because there's a lot of them. There are a lot of versions, um, but this one in particular I find to be really interesting because it's him with uh, more of a psychedelic sounding band. Uh, the record was made in 1969, and so you can sort of tell that the label was trying to get Howlin' Wolf's sound to be a little more relevant. Um, and so, if uh, when right. we listen to the track, you'll probably hear. Got a lot of love that I want you to know that I feel so confident. I feel 
story in there yeah, yeah you can hear that in that solo alone you can hear that. there's a couple of different layers of interesting stuff going on so not only for me do I hear this uncomfortableness in how Helen Wolf feels about being put with this more progressive sound at the time um, but you also hear uh, the conversation happening between the two different guitar parts um, all of which were probably tracked at the same time um, and even though you right, can, I, for me, yeah, right. for me, I, I, you can hear how, you know, pissed off Howlin' Wolf is to be in this situation, but that aggravation really adds to, uh, it adds a whole other level to the track, and for, I, I don't know, for me, it just kind of makes the song. Right, made it real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What'd you get out of it, Mike? Um, I, I, hear, I hear the um, effort to try to bring influences like like some of the the British um, British blues psychedelic blues bands, whether it was Cream, I hear some of that, you know, in the in the riff aspect of it, and some of the maybe maybe they were trying to cash in on some of the Hendrix craze because you have a really emo like raw emotional black um, black singer as Jimi Hendrix was a great great I mean, very he brought it, you know, he brought the very full of feeling and soulful. Um, against this electric psychedelic kind of thing, and I think that they were probably saying, "Okay, well, if you know, Cream can sell a, you know a million albums, and Jimi Hendrix can sell a million albums, maybe if we put some of those ingredients into, into Holland Wolf, maybe we can like strike a nerve in that yeah. area." And I so, think that's that so. Obviously, the problem the problem inside of this is that you've got an artist who's got it in his head the way he wants to mm-hmm. hear it, yep. and you have those that are writing the checks, as it were deciding that's the framework in which you need to fit your music inside of and ultimately a conflict. It got resolved and got recorded and it's produced something magical, but it wasn't, I suppose, the, the ones who wrote the checks, it was with intent. Well, the to the extent that right. Helen Wolf insisted on putting that whole diatribe on the front of the True, album, um, right. stating that he was not happy with it. However, you know, you can really... I, th- I don't. I don't know if the record would have had that vibe had it yeah. not been made to conflict like that. You know. Right. I have a feeling though that it probably wasn't the success number-wise that the record company wanted oh, to yeah, have. Probably not. And probably that. Probably because there's, 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 it's not an organic juxtaposition. It's not something that right. grew out of what Howlin' Wolf, as an artist, wanted to express mm-hmm. himself. Yeah, it was something that came from outside. I mean, you listen to some of the bands that I referenced, whether it's Cream or Jimi Hendrix or things like that. Those were organic expressions of what they wanted to do as artists came at right that time. Out of their soul, right? So it was yeah. like, this is what we want to do. And that authenticity, I think, usually, in my experience, is the most commercial aspect of what an artist is, that right. authenticity. So when you try to you know, put the chess pieces together to make it something that 
sounds like this, sounds like that, sounds like that, it's not usually the best way to go. And so you might have this, uh, you know, this sort of inner conflict about what he want, wanted to be as an artist, how he wanted to express himself, and all the other elements that were put upon him. So let's pick up on the commitment. And in a band setting, when it's not just you, but you have to make a commitment if it was you too, but in a, in a band setting, it's different. Obviously, you have to, in any kind of conflict or problem solving, there has to be trust amongst yes. the members. Otherwise, you've got a train wreck and you'll never see them again. It's probably the most important thing, actually. Yes. So, yeah, so maybe kind of start there, inside that conflict, right? How, how do you get it resolved? Well, um, I, in an ideal situation, as you said, you're working with people that you do trust um, from time to time. Um, you do end up working with new musicians, um, and in those circumstances, you hope that in a rehearsal aspect, you're getting to learn enough about people musically where in a live situation, those things can get resolved. Um, but when you do, like my band, I know I've been playing with my drummer and my bass player for eight years, um, and I know that uh, even if they choose something that may not be right, they're going to make it uh, musically turn into something that works. Um, and I can trust that they'll do that. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that for them, they're trying to always achieve a higher level of playing those songs. And so if something doesn't quite work out, they're going to work their hardest to uh, shift whatever choice they've made into something that's going to be musical. Mm -hmm. and Mike, from your perspective, obviously, you've got a long list of people you've played with. Most recently, you're in Kinky Boots and that situation, which is very different than in a recording booth very or in a studio or on a live before, stage. Actually. Suzanne Vega and Bruce Springsteen and some of the others that you've played with, you've got the range of band leaders, so to mm. speak, or setups from mm. pure democracy mm. to dictatorship. Mm. Buddy Rich at one end of the spectrum as the mm. ultimate miserable human being. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a ridiculous drummer. <laughs> genius, genius drummer. But people still yeah. wanted to play with him, right? Yeah. yeah. And Miles Davis at the other end, mm. which people just couldn't get enough of. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Mm. Again, in that context of we have a problem we have to solve, it's still going to take a group. You can't have one person just go off and do whatever they want. Right. I, I think it does all, always comes down to trust. And, and when I'm uh, in, in a situation where I can't solve... Um, a band issue or musical issue, I actually depend on people that I'm playing with. The reason I'm playing with these people, the reason I, this is a personal decision, but when I play with people that I really like, whether I've chose them, chosen them to play with me or, or I just happen to be with them, I have to say, okay, I'm a, I'm a unique person with my own perspective, but I'm not the, I'm not the uh, dictator of the band. I'm not, I'm not the enforcer of my vision or my aesthetic on everybody else. So, so I automatically default to these are other very talented people that see things slightly different than, than me, and I'm going to let them or collectively have everybody kind of solve the problem because this is, what, this is what makes music or a band, specifically, this is what makes that particular thing really work on, on a lot of levels. But I think it's really kind of just trusting that the instincts and the aesthetic that each of these individuals has um, will be ultimately the right thing. Because the band is made up of these people, so you have to get their expression right. involved in all of the music. And that innate trust was there 
from the get-go. And that's what Miles Davis did. Miles Davis hired musicians and he let them be really valuable contributors to the music mm -hmm. in, in their own styles, their own personalities, their own way. And that's what made it work. That's what made it, as opposed to a guy like Buddy Rich who is dictatorial and yeah. And you know, mm -hmm. and, and pedantic, and just hammered you on every nuance because that's the way he wanted to do it. And he wasn't a very loved guy, and a lot, you know, as as a, a very loved mu musician, as a performer, and as a drummer, he was a genius. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't a very loved band leader, very not a very beloved man, as opposed to Miles Davis, who every, any um, any um, alumnus of Miles Davis's many many bands always just they they speak with nothing but reverence and love yeah. for the guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. In a, in a business context, uh, or in some kind of marketing dilemma, which many of our clients are struggling with, trying to figure out, I have so many choices. Which ones do I pick? And how do I decide what's more important than something else? And how do I collaborate with the folks that I work with every day um, in order to get to a set of choices that's going to work? has a lot of similarities to what you're describing. I would think so. In the music world. I mean, even the, even the president has his close circle of advisors. You know, these mm -hmm. are the people that he chose. Right. These are like, it's like his band, yeah. that he can trust their instincts. Yeah. So when he can't figure something out, he assembles them and let's like go with what we know. You know, let's go with our instincts on this thing. We come to a decision. Now, the decision isn't necessarily always the most correct decision, but is the, is, it is the correct decision for that particular group of people. And in that particular moment, yeah. which is also... Which it's a time incredible. and place also, yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So we're at, we're at a time where business is confronted with lots of complexity. Consumers are very sophisticated and have a lot of choice, which makes decision-making particularly challenged. And those that have to make those decisions more reluctant and we've talked about this, um, the edge is getting washed mm. off mm -hmm. um, and the world becoming a bit more genericized without going too far down that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that path. We are at a place where those that are the ones that are empowered to make choice are often frozen and have to turn to creativity as, or consider that as part of a way to solve a problem mm -hmm. and get stuck because they're not deemed creative or mm -hmm. they're not deemed as mm -hmm. uh, having the, the, the ability, the brain power to kind of step back, do what you just described, whether it's Miles or Buddy Rich, to try to figure out how to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And so instead, we have reluctance. Mm -hmm. In our travels across our clients, there are the same situation in many companies where there's a discord between those that are driving the finances of the company and those that are on the ground who really know what the problems are. Well, it's a, that also happened in the record business, by the way, too. Well, and you same, might say the, the same schism between people that are actually the manufacturing record business. Right. It, when it got to the point where it was uh, people driving the finances against the, the more creative people that were invested in for, for that, those reasons plus other reasons, um, that's when the record business actually started, to, when the balance started to tipping toward the people driving the finances is, finances is when the record business started its general descent. Kind of losing that crea mm -hmm. the creativity, yeah, be, right? It, because the, the, prior the, the priority, the priority um, moved from, from records being a reflection of, of an artist to being a reflection of a number. It has mm. to meet meet the bottom line every quarter or whatever. And, yeah. and move, when it when that started. Well, there to also became a disconnect between the 
everyone being committed to creating the best art and it became more of a priority to create things that were making money. That's and right. the artists themselves began to feel reluctant because there wasn't support in the art itself. Right. And those that are the, in this example, making those decisions actually forgot or conveniently analyzed the numbers too much to realize actually the money was in the art. That's right. It the always money was. Actually was. It always there. was. And in, and, and in a business capacity, it's, a very, it's very similar. But the courage or the ability to tap creative skills of your team mm. to solve problems is a challenge that every business mm -hmm. faces right now. So we were talking about the challenge that businesses are going through, particularly now with so much complexity in technology and, and content being kind of everywhere and everything, from words on paper and words on screens to multiple screens to mobile devices, location, um, gives you an opportunity to access a whole new kind of content depending on where you are, who you're talking with, what you're watching. There's so much information. But we still have to make decisions. We still have to problem solve. We still have to get inside of the reality of we got to deal with this and, and figure out how to move things forward. The business community, I believe, and, and organizationally, we've found that it's kind of stuck because there's so many choices, because it's so complex, because consumers have gotten so smart, almost paralyzed or, or polarized, more, probably worse, um, of trying to make decisions. And it requires a set of skills that I believe everyone has, and it's in everyone, sometimes latent and sometimes just repressed, that has to come out because if you're behind a mission and driving towards a sense of purpose that everybody agrees with. Inevitably, the choice to choose a creative strategy and a solution will be okay. We talked about trust earlier and, and you have an opportunity to create those bonds with people so that when you take that risk, nothing bad really can happen because you've decided that's the mission and the people you're doing it with are ones you trust. So just to take a an experiment and use some live music hmm. uh, to maybe dig into this a little bit. I know you both aren't really prepared for this, um, but it's good to take chances sometimes in real time. Uh, so we're going to explore this song, Left of Center, mm -hmm. uh, which was a song that Suzanne Vega, whom you toured with for many, many years, mm -hmm and wrote it for the movie Pretty in Pink. That's right. It was, on the, uh, it was in the movie, and it was on the soundtrack um, recording, vinyl back then. And its, and its initial recording was a band. Full band, yeah, like five-piece band. ended up being you and Suzanne together. What had that happen? Um, Obviously a problem in there somewhere. Yeah, well, well there was a, um, a time where Suzanne didn't actually have a band. Uh, it was a small period of time. Um, in the early to mid 90s and we had gig there were gigs to be done performances to happen and she didn't know how to approach it other than just do them by herself but she wanted me to play with her so so I spent a lot of time like pouring over the the material that we've been playing with a band and trying to come up with ways of accompanying her but I did just, I didn't want it to be rudimentary accompaniment I wanted to try to bring as many of the aspects of the fuller arrangements the orchestrations um, into the songs so I would I would try to come up with ideas that were not only just fundamental, like supporting the harmony, but then um, 
larger in scope, like bringing some of the aspects of some of the solos that were on the records or some of the, um, some of the um, rhythmic um, elements and try to come up with a way to play it as much on bass as I can, knowing that when you have a bass and a voice, there's no conflict because my, the, the sonic spectrum that I operate in and the sonic spectrum that a voice, especially her voice, which is a soprano voice, um, there is never crossover as there might be with guitar or piano coming into the registers of the, vo of the voice. So I had a lot of freedom and she encouraged me to just be as free as I can with it. So I came up with certain arrangements and this was one of the arrangements I came up with. Okay. Let's give it a shot. And on the edge and off the avenue. And if you want me, you can find me left of center wondering about you. Shoot <laughs> <laughs> it again. Somehow, somewhere inside of us, we must be similar, if not the same. So I continue to be wanting you left of center against the grain. If you want me, you can find me left of center off of the strip. In the outskirts, in the fringes, in the corner, out of the grip. But I'm only in the outskirts and in the fringes 
And on the edge end of the avenue And if you want me, you can find me left of center Wondering about you Wondering about you So there were some things going on in there yes. that we obviously didn't plan for. Right. Some experimentation uh, came back to the earlier things we were talking about, mm. all around trust and musically trusting each other that nothing terrible would happen. Of course. And why don't you talk about that a little bit? So <laughs> at the end, of course, uh, I heard you go after vibrato, which is kind of shaking your voice. You do that? Yes, um, the original version, uh, Suzanne, she has a very uh, straight sound to her voice. So instead of doing you, I went you and put a little bit of a waver in there. Right. And how'd you feel about that? I mean, it's more stylistically how I uh, sing, so mm -hmm. uh, it's it felt more natural for me. But I also chose in the repeat to go back to what Suzanne's natural. Yeah, I heard that. Is. So, as somebody who's played this, pick a number. How many times? Uh, a thousand. Let's go with a thousand. A thousand times. Yeah, let's go with a thousand. When there's vibrato added in for you, does that feel awkward? Does that feel some, like something? Just talk about it. No, it's, it's, it's kind of good. I mean, just the, the fact that uh, it's a different singer singing it with, you know, and having Rebecca put her own personality or personal stamp on parts of the song was, was yeah. great for me. You know, yeah. it reinvigorates the sound for me. It's, you know, I'm used to hearing it a certain way, very very much and Suzanne is one of these people that sings it exactly the same way every time she doesn't improvise at all she right. sings it that way so any any of those nuances is a, is a nice thing does that give you more room when no, Rebecca no, was just, willing to but in Rebecca's case when she was willing to take some chances there and you two were connecting throughout the song in a way that I kind of felt you shape your tone a little bit actually and the choices you made well, maybe tonally, um, it's slightly Rebecca different. Was yeah, it could be tonally slightly different. You know, where I where I put my hands, I could, I can um, vary the tone on my uh, depending on where I'm putting my right hand on the strings, right. and and when I hear different sounds in my in my ear, um, where uh, from Rebecca's voice, I could vary it to try to complement the tone a little bit, bit differently than I used to do. Usually do it. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking that risk which I know it was, although sure. you both do this professionally. Um, it's still a risk. Yeah, but we, we do these things every day, so it's really not, I mean, taking a risk is part of our lifestyle. My whole lifestyle is a risk. Right. Yeah. Everything, right. Every, right from the beginning is a risk. So, so if, mm -hmm. we, if we bring that back into the conversation we were having not too, not too long ago, mm -hmm. in the conversation around businesses taking risk and the kind of paralysis they have given all the choices they have to make, and the, the, the cultures in which many organizations operate where risk-taking is a challenge. What can we take from this conversation and what can we take from this experience right now to, to bring to and share with businesses where struggle and taking, making choices and, and, and getting to the other side of a problem is something that can be taken away maybe. well it's it's very to me it's very obvious um, number one is um, 
adaptation. I mean, we're adapting this particular song to this particular environment with, with Rebecca singing, me playing through an amplifier that I would never play through in any other situation. Uh, so I'm, you know, getting out of the comfort zone, but able to adapt to the situation to be able to bring the song uh, here into this moment. And that's number one. Uh, so adaptation and then not thinking uh, parochially, not thinking that, oh, it has to be this particular way, otherwise it's not right. You know, the song is still the song and anyone can bring a personality to any particular situation and being open to invite that personality into the idea pool or whatever it might be and still being able to come out on the other side of it with a viable you mm -hmm. know, product, viable idea, whatever it might be. And with two equal roles, Rebecca, and that tune in particular, yes. you were both were soloists, so to speak. Yeah. Both carried a melody, mm -hmm. so to speak, which is very unusual. It's, again, kind of drawn back to what we said earlier, that everybody has a part in yeah. solving the problem, as long as that mission and sense of purpose and, and, and that is intact, where people feel like they can Yeah, it's, a, it's a lot of trust and, and, and relying on your instincts as well. I mean, Mike and I have uh, played together a lot over the years, and so I, I trust him to uh, you know, be playing something that is, is going to be timing out and working with where my vocal is, similar to him knowing that I'm going to sing the right part when it comes along. Um, you know, and then instincts being, you know, there is a little bit more freedom to this song because it doesn't have as much of a percussive element to it. So, you know, we're feeling time and we're mm -hmm. two different people feeling the timing of this song, yet our instincts are aligning in when we're entering and exiting certain sections. Mm -hmm. So the, the real-time negotiation that's going on is exactly what she said, we're feeling time, mm -hmm. and everybody feels time, in the musical sense, everybody feels time maybe slightly differently. So you have to, um, you have to always make those, those adjustments in the nanosecond to be able to yes. have a successful performance, whether it's with the drummer or whether it's with the singer, whether it's with anyone, everybody's got to kind of come together and agree. And it's a mutual agreement that, um, that and makes it literally a nanosecond. And it is a nanosecond. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and in the, the marketing world in which um, businesses live and the choices they have to make, although they can plan and although there is a kind of roadmap for getting there, it still is in the moment choices. Right. And with many of the media today, in particular, in which advertisers are working in, they are literally in real time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes machines are doing it. Actually, mm -hmm. sometimes machines are enabling people to make decisions, and sometimes, sometimes it's totally manual decisions that human beings are making, based on certain pieces of information. In your case, you're hearing the sound. In a marketing capacity, you might be looking at information, or looking at data, or looking at behavioral trends about how people make choices about shopping and buying and those kinds of things. So the comparison is actually very I think one of, the, um, one of the things that can cross over into any area of life is this idea of improvisation. Um, and we're kind of used to it because it's, it's part of the musical experience for us. But I think everybody, to a certain point, um, knows how to improvise certain things. They, you know, they come across a situation or an experience and they have to figure out sometimes, it could be very 
very banal, you know, parking or whatever it might be, traffic. Traffic's a great example of it. You know, you're coming in to work or whatever, and you have to f suddenly improvise your way out of a traffic jam or something. So that's an improvisation. But to, to get the best, to me, the, the greatest <clears throat> uh, value out of improvising anything would be to prepare yourself. And preparing yourself means not necessarily just, you know, you can't study traffic patterns, but I'm talking about be, being able to be open to other ways of doing something. And a lot of people aren't. A lot of people see the world or their job or their marriage or relationships through very, very fixed points or a very specific prism that it's got to be this way or no way. If it goes out of the, out of the, the, the border here, it's, we're no, it's failing, it's not working. And most of the time, almost invariably, uh, the time it's not, it's not true. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to expand your comfort zone to be to uh, to accommodate those those moments. And that's why I think if you're really going to be successful, you should learn how to um, improve your, your improvisation by opening yourself up, getting out of your getting out of your own way, so to speak, mm -hmm. and becoming less parochial about the way you go about business, life, relationships, any of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and and we have certainly seen a, a, a time with all this complexity and more choices that you really have to make choices. That status quo is actually more dangerous than making choices. Mm -hmm. That just staying inert actually will, will create negative reaction well, and nothing create moves negative progress. Nothing moves forward by staying inert. Nothing moves forward. Nothing. The world doesn't move forward by staying inert. And that's a great place to, mm -hmm. to end. Thank you. Rebecca Thank and Mike, you. Thanks, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you.